Liberty Schoolyard Sports Studio. Here's Steve Kaplowitz and Adrian Broadus. And with that, we welcome you back here to Sports Talk. Happy to have you with us. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Together we come your way. 600 ESPN El Paso. With you for three hours today. Another three-hour show. And by the way, you want to know why today's important? Because tomorrow we're on for 30 minutes. That's right. 30 minutes. In fact, I think we're going to have a three-man show tomorrow. I think sports talk is going to consist of Adrian, yours truly, and John Teicher. I mean, John might as well join us for the whole show. He's going to be on at 4.30 anyway doing UTEP basketball with the uh, La Tech game coming up. He might as well get his voice going and uh, start it off with us at 4 o'clock tomorrow for the 30-minute blockbuster edition of the program. Yeah, that'd be great, Steve. I mean, uh, we could pack it all in 30 minutes and get everybody ready for a big one for UTEP. I mean, La Tech, uh, one of the top teams in this conference, although it's hard to find any top team in this league right now the way it stands. Uh, And the Miners trying to get their first road win of the season. So let's see what they can do tomorrow. Uh, We will uh, have Track Talk Friday at 5. Programming note, because Track Talk is usually on Thursdays, but uh, we can't do 5 o'clock Thursday because we'll be having tip-off of UTEP and Law Tech. So Track Talk moving to Friday at 5 o'clock with Eric Alwyn, the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino, track announcer. Somebody you had a chance to join uh, last week on the very special uh you know, radio interview, which is also on Zoom. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, uh, things are heating up out at the racetrack. Steve, we're right around the corner here from the Derby. Last week featured all the thoroughbreds. It was Thursday, Friday, the big slate uh, of uh, races. It led up to a big one on Sunday. So, yeah, I think these, as the weeks come along, the racing intensifies out at Sunland Park Racetrack. And so it's always great to catch up with Eric Alwyn here on a weekly basis. I agree with you. So, again, we'll have that for you. Uh, coming up on Friday at 5 o'clock. Lines ringing in. Wow, look at this. Calls to try to start us off today, huh? Well, we'll see. By the way, I always love our phones. I love how there's two lines ringing, and then as soon as Adrian tries to answer it, there's one line ringing, and now there's no lines. It's it's always great. I always feel like we're being faked out by these phones. Right, we are. And uh, sometimes it happens to us all the time on Minor Talk. We think it's on the first line. It's actually the second line. And then sometimes they just hang up. So, yeah, uh, maybe that one right there was accidental. Mm, okay. Well, anyway, um, we've got a lot to cover on the show today. Jay Jaffe will join us uh, coming up here in just about... Oh, 15 minutes from now to talk a little baseball and beer on the show. We'll talk We'll talk Cooperstown with Jay. This is the one time during the year where Jay Jaffe pretty much takes over the national spotlight because he is the preeminent expert on the Hall of Fame. He has his own metrics, Jaws, as part of BaseballReference.com. So we'll get to Jay's uh, conversation today and ask him about the trio of Hall of Famers be great Steve there's a lot of uh I, I think the takeaways from yesterday, right? Because we saw some uh, some of the names 
uh, be voted and actually uh, start to improve their stock as far as their uh, Hall of Fame value. Maybe they were on the sixth time, the seventh time, or there were other guys who just uh, stayed stagnant and and haven't really increased their their votes coming in to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So it would be great to get his perspective on what has changed. We talked about guys like Carlos Beltran yesterday, what, what, Mm -hmm. what happens to him next year. Same with Andrew Jones. So it'll be great to hear from Jay Jaffe. And by the way, for those of you that believe that the Hall of Fame is watered down, it's been watered down forever. I mean, it's not like this is anything new. I mean, Harold Baines got in for crying out loud. I always liked Harold Baines, but I never thought about him ever as a Hall of Famer. So if you think about the Hall of Fame now, people are saying, well, it's the Hall of Very Good. Um, I mean, define it, because the Immortals are guys like Babe Ruth, uh, Ty Cobb, Christy Mathewson, Walter Johnson, Ted Williams, uh, Mickey Mantle, uh, Lou Gehrig. I mean, those are the immortals, all right? But you can't look at anybody today and say, well, they're going to be an immortal. I mean, it's just the way it is. The game's different now than it was, um, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago when you looked at certain uh, players of yesteryear and looked at them as, as really the all-time greats. And the fact is... Now that we measure greatness differently than we used to, because you got to remember, in the old days, how'd you measure greatness? 300 wins. Um, you had uh, a certain number of strikeouts, 3,000 strikeouts, 500 home runs. And then there was, you know, the, the number 3,000 hits, 300 career batting average. Um, you know, those were, the, those were the markers of greatness. And then all of a sudden, along comes metrics where you say, well, wait a minute. You could be a 200-game winner, but as long as you look at your other analytical data, hey, you might have just been a bad luck pitcher, and you've got 200 wins, but you know you, you should be a 300-game pitcher. I mean, think about this, a 300-win pitcher. Guys years ago, they like pitchers – you were, you were required to not only start games, but finish games. That was the idea. Guys had 25 complete games. And they would throw a million innings until their arms fell off. Because they didn't throw as hard. And you know what? I mean, a lot of those guys didn't get injured. Not like they do today. That's because they didn't work out like they did, uh, like they do today. I mean, look at Babe Ruth. He was fat. He ate hot dogs and drank beer in dugouts during games. Yet, he had 700-plus home runs in his career. He is the ultimate, you know, baseball god. And he doesn't look like one. He's not built like the guys today. But who cares? That was baseball back in those days. So you can't – it's so difficult to compare the game from all of these eras because the game has changed. It's evolved. It really has. And if you love baseball, look, you still, the one thing that's the same is this. You still have to be able, be able to hit a baseball and you got to be able to throw a baseball. That's the, you know, that's, that, that hasn't changed. Everything else about it has, but the basic fundamental rules are still the same. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you run around the bases, you try to score. That's, that, that hasn't changed. But everything else around it has. So, you know, for people that are saying, well, Baseball's not what it was. Of course not. And guess what? In the 50s, they were saying, well, baseball's not like it was in the 20s. 
And in the 80s, they were saying baseball's not like it was in the 50s. So now we look at the game today and say, it's not like it was in the 90s. You're right. It's not. It's changed in a big way. So that's why when you're looking at the Hall of Fame, you must review based on your contemporaries that are that are currently playing the game today and how you measure their skills. And you might look at, you know, Todd Helton and say, well, he's a great ball player, but I can't look at Todd Helton the way I looked at Oh, I don't know. For example, you could you could throw anybody out there. You could, you know, you could look at um any type of first baseman that played the game over the years. And say that they're not the same. Well, that's true. They're not the same. They're different. Just because the game has changed and it's not what it once was. So, you know, that's my that's my biggest take on it. He's saying, "Well, Todd Helton's not Lou Gehrig." Well, nobody was Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig was in a league of his own. Although Albert Pujols was pretty close. Pujols is probably the closest thing to an old-time great like we uh, like we had back in those days because of what Albert was able to do all those years. Yeah, once-in-a-generational uh, type of talent, really. And you could say year-over-year year, Pujols was the top three player uh, in his prime, right? Yeah. I mean, and yeah. what he was able to do with the Cardinals and winning and you know contending for World Series year-over-year year for what he was able to do at the, at the plate. Uh, I'll say this, though, Steve. The analytics, the nerds, they're uh, probably the reason why guys like Scott Rowland yes. gets into the Hall of Fame. And you can compare Scott Rowland to... Adrian Beltre, right. guys who really played around the same time. Beltre was such a better player than, than uh, Scott Rowland, yet both of them are in the Hall of Fame, and both well, of them play that position. Rowland's defense is what helped get him in. And it's the analytics That's uh, right. propelled them there. Nerds like Jaffe got him in. Hey. Let's be like, hey, I mean, you got, let's just be, put it there. He's, he's all right. about the stats, all about the analytics. That's right. Hey, uh, I'll say this. For those nerds who put out all the stats, they've changed the game, not in just the base, in the sport of baseball, in basketball too, yes. uh, in football as well. Teams are incorporating these analytics that they're getting, uh, the advanced analytics on their side, and incorporating it into their game plans. But I'm going to ask Jay, during our conversation today, if analytics never came into the game, and we measured players the same way now like we did 30, 40 years ago, what the Hall of Fame would look like in his opinion. I'm so curious to get that answer. It'd be uh, probably more inclusive. I, I would agree. I would agree. So we'll do that coming up. On uh, Plus, we've got uh, Jeff Erickson, Adam Teicher in the 5 o'clock hour. And then uh, also, in the 6 o'clock hour, we're going to give you a little lot tech preview from uh, our buddy. Uh, and that's going to be... Um, Yep, we've got uh, Bleed Tech Blue. Ben Carlisle. Ben, uh, ben, Ben's going to come back and join us. Yeah, and he's always great to catch up with. I can't believe we're still doing this, Steve. It feels like years that we've been doing it with Ben. Probably and is. for some reason, uh, you know, UTEP and LaTeX still stuck in Conference USA. Let's get a couple calls in before we go to break. Start off with Dan. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hey, Steve, how are you doing? I, uh, I decided to get my call in a little early because Oily, Oily's, uh, Orly's really beginning to yeah, oil, yeah, oily always uh, uh, seems oh. to beat us to the punch. That's true. So good job, uh, Dan. Appreciate yeah. it. Here's here's the here's the deal. Okay, I'm looking at the playoffs realistic. Looking looking at AFC NFC. The reality of it is this: uh, Purdy, he, Purdy does not make a single player on his team better. Uh, Mahomes surely does. Jackson mm-hmm. does, and I would even argue that golf does. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at the history of it, the reason San Francisco always gets destroyed by the upper echelon of AFC is all of those defenses defenses has evolved. Yep. And the type of offense the Niners run that the 80s called and the 90s called and said they want their offense back. The defenses in the AFC are too fast for that lateral passing game of the 49ers. But I would even argue that Purdy's worse than Jimmy G. He's Jimmy G minus 1.0 because Jimmy G never had an all-star running back, versatile all-star like McCaffrey. Right. So if, if Purdy does not win this weekend or get to the Super Bowl and actually wins one, I believe a lot of people disagree with me. But if you look at the AFC, there's all the dynamic quarterbacks are there. I argue that the 49ers should have kept Lance. The reason Lance failed in San Francisco is that Cal Shanahan was trying to make him into a Joe Montana, a Steve Young, or a slow pocket passer that just sits back there. And that is not the modern quarterback. I don't. I don't disagree with that. He also got hurt, though. Let's be honest. But yeah. but but then again, you look at Josh Allen, and he can run. But Josh Allen is also that guy that can throw the ball all over the field and has that kind of passing that 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 you know that nostalgic kind of passer too. But but he can run when you need him to. He can he can take off definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you take any of the top ten quarterbacks in the AFC, of uh, you know, you have Allen, you have even this. I would argue, even if you put Stroud, any of those top quarterbacks from the AFC on the 49ers, Mahomes, Jackson, Allen, they would make the players around them better. Yep. Yep. Purdy does not. Garoppolo did not, period. And so I just wanted to get after Orly, and I'm going to guarantee you this, Steve. If they're lucky enough to get past Detroit, I guarantee you that they lose by 21 plus in the Super Bowl in particular if they play Baltimore. Uh, 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 Casey, no, because Baltimore has a more dynamic offense this year. Mahomes is much better quarterback than Jackson, mm-hmm. but Mahomes doesn't have – he has one weapon on offense. Jackson has multiple plus his legs. Yep. So, I, Orly, I can't wait to hear Orly come on, but Orly, it's done. I have a tomahawk steak to bet you at Texas Chop House if the 49ers win the Super Bowl. Love it. Dan, I'll save your call, and we'll keep it. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. All right. 16 pass as we continue. I know I've got Gator Richard hanging on, but Gator, i got to get to Jay. So give us a call back later in the show. We'll bring you on. Let's go to Charlie One. He's got a traffic update for us. And then Jay Jaffe next, 600 ESPN El Paso. Here on Sports Talk, time to talk a little baseball and beer with our man, Jay Jaffe. Writes for Fangraphs. In fact, he's got his newest um, article up today, which is a candidate-by-candidate look at the 2024 Hall of Fame election results. You can check that out right now at uh, Fangraphs.com. Welcome back to the show. And uh, I know yesterday is your favorite day of the year. It's Hall of Fame Day. You tell me, uh, were you surprised with the results when you had a chance to hear about the three uh, that got in? Um, you know, I think I was pretty much prepared by the time uh, that the announcement came down that, that we would get those three names. I had hope uh, going into yesterday uh, that we would get four, with Billy Wagner being the fourth, um, but it seemed like uh, the late breaks just weren't going his way, um, and uh, 
So I had to prepare for that for that eventuality that he wasn't going to get in. When I sat down to pre-write my article, though, I had contingencies for two candidates getting in, three candidates getting in, and four candidates getting in, uh, at least at the top of the article. It's amazing to me that a guy who really was, you can make an argument, the most dominant left-handed closer in the history of the game is still not in Cooperstown. Well, the big issue is volume. I mean, he only had 903 career innings, and that's fewer than any of the other uh, closers who are already in Cooperstown. And that's that's an obstacle for some. And, you know, people have a good point when they say, you know, why are – why are we recognizing this guy when you've got an Andy Pettit or a Mark Burley or, you know, name another pitcher who, you know, pitched three or four times as many innings and had uh, a lot more value in terms of wins above replacement uh, but isn't in? Um, you know, I get those arguments, and I understand them. And I think um, still, you know, to me, Wagner was the very best or near the very best of, you know, among those uh, uh, who were who were doing the relief job, and 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 that deserves to be rewarded. But uh, it's not uh, by any means a uh, you know unanimous uh, viewpoint within the BBWA. That's true. That is very true. Um, before we talk about the winners, the guys that uh, were into the hall, and, and and I shouldn't say winners, but that you know the hall of famers. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this at you, okay? And this is um, I don't know if anybody's ever brought this up to you, but I'm just curious. Let's just say that in 2024. We still measure Hall of Famers based on the traditional Hall of Fame metrics. Okay, three hundred wins, automatic Hall of Fame. Uh, you know the strikeout mark. You could talk about um, saves, although really relievers were never that big of a conversation piece years ago. Uh, hitters, five hundred home runs, three hundred plus better batting average, three thousand hits, so on and so forth. Um, if those were the, if those marks were being the, the the still being used, and we did not have metrics, analytics, baseball reference wasn't around, and stats never came along like they have today, what do you think the Hall of Fame would look like with the contemporary group of players? Do you feel like most of these guys would fall short of Cooperstown if we were still measuring the way we did for all those years? I think it would look very different. I mean, I think what we've seen, especially over the past decade, um, you know, first of all, the the um, the PED stuff has kept a lot of guys out, um, but we still, from 2014 to 2020, uh, the writers elected uh, 22 guys, and some of them were guys who probably in the past would not have gotten in, uh, guys like Larry Walker and, and Tim Raines and uh, some of those guys. Um, and then there are probably some guys that would have gotten in um, that that uh, that haven't, um, you know, maybe we'd see a Tory Hunter in there or a Jimmy Rollins if if we were doing things the old way, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, um, it's it's tough to speculate, but I do think there are certain candidates that have maybe a more old school appeal here and there uh, versus a more uh, new school or stat stat head friendly appeal. Um, we probably wouldn't even be talking about Chase Utley, for example, um, if uh, uh, you know if some of these recent guys hadn't gotten in, um, you know, to kind of pave the way in terms of the the the, uh, the Jaws related uh, uh, candidates and all that. I'm with you on that one. I was like thinking about Andrew Jones, for example. Like, do you did it, do, does analytics and advanced stats? help his case, or do you think that he would have been one of those old-school writers that would have uh, ended up voted for him just because of the way Andrew showcased his skills for so many years on the diamond? 
you know, I, I, I think war, you know, I think war and jaws and analytical stuff really helps this case because, you know, we had we had the, the, the 10 or 11 gold gloves. And I, I forget which it is here uh, for Andrew Jones. But we also have, um, you know, a, an estimate of his value uh, fielding wise. And it shows him to be the, the most valuable center fielder of all time defensively. Um, you know, that's a that's a that's an important distinction. And I think before war we were kind of squinting and saying, well, yeah, I guess that kind of adds up here. He was good at this and he was great at that and maybe that's enough. I mean, an Omar Vizquel would have been in 2,700 hits and all those gold gloves and whatever and a batting line that looked va- vaguely like Ozzy Smith. Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, but now that we have a wins above replacement to, to, to uh, uh, get a better assessment of his value, he doesn't look like nearly as strong a candidate. Um, you know, that's leaving aside the off the field stuff that has made him uh, less appealing to a lot of voters. I want to mention also that if you ever wondered what the all timers are like in terms of Jay's metrics for Jaws, the answer is in the Cooperstown casebook because you actually do take a look at the older players uh, and some of the uh, you know what you would call the the all time greats from a hundred years ago and and that time and you weigh them the way you would weigh some of the newer players with the metrics you've developed and kind of put a system in place so that you can actually look at them the way you look at players today. Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's important to try to explain to people that you know, for the most part, a lot of the guys you thought you thought were the greatest really are the greatest. I mean, you know, whether we're talking about offense or whether we're talking about combined combined value offense, defense, and base running, um, you know, we're, you're still going to get Babe Ruth at the top at the, to, at the top of the leaderboard or, or things like that. And defensively, you still got Brooks Robinson, Roberto Clemente, Ozzie Smith uh, at or near the top uh, of the rankings in their respective positions and so you know i think when you know that i think that maybe underscores just how valuable uh it is that andrew jones is atop the center field uh rankings you know we've got at least some some grip of on, on it. it may not be the exact value but uh, uh we do have a pretty good estimate of of uh, that this guy was uh was elite Jay Jaffe with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Um, Gary Sheffield did not make the 75% mark. I heard somebody, I think they played a clip where he said he believes he's a Hall of Famer. He was born a Hall of Famer, and he's got a pretty high opinion of himself with his with his career. And, and Jay, the toughest thing, I think, with guys like Sheffield and, and players like this is that, um, you know, their offensive numbers are a product of the period of time the rumors swirling around, and the truth of the matter is, we'll never truly know once uh, you know until they all get in which of these guys in Cooperstown from that era really did take PEDs and which ones didn't. And the difficult thing is, is that certain guys have been rumored and things have swirled and and it's hurt them. And yet there's other guys that maybe maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but they weren't nearly as much of a focal point during that period. And they might be in the Hall of Fame right now in Cooperstown. Yeah, and, and you know, we're not even talking about uh, the impact of amphetamines, which were yeah. routinely used from the from the from the mid '60s uh, up into the 2000s before they were finally banned. And those those kept players in the lineup a lot of extra days, yep. kept them alert when they probably uh, would have been too tired or, or or not nearly at their best. And uh, 
Um, you know, performance-enhancing drugs have a long history in this game, and that's not to condone their usage. Uh, just to say that it's it's arbitrary where we've drawn the line uh, in terms of the morality play that has unfolded over the last quarter century. True enough. We'll come back. We'll get thoughts on uh, the three that did get into the hall, and then we'll get Jay's beer pick of the week. But first, let's go to Adrian and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. We're back with Jay Jaffe. By the way, speaking of amphetamines, I started diving into Ball 4 from uh, Jim Bouton uh, here recently and picked up a, a signed copy of, of all of his volumes that were accumulated into one edition, which is about 20 years old. That is such a good book and probably one of the most underrated uh, baseball books of all time. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's the best. I mean, it is so much uh, so much fun and such an incredible uh, time capsule at this point uh, of of not just about baseball but about where America was in yep. 1969. Um, I, I had the uh, uh, the pleasure of actually meeting Jim Bouton when when uh, that volume was was uh, first came out. Uh, it's called Ball Four: The Final Pitch, and it includes his uh, Ball Five and Ball Six epilogues and uh, uh, a whole lot of interesting stuff uh, surrounding it. Um, if you like that, there's a really great bio. Uh, of Bouton by um, a Philadelphia-based writer named Mitchell Nathanson that kind of gives you uh, more information about uh, the conditions under which it was written and how it was edited and things like that. Uh, really nice job. But I love that book. I've read it. I don't know. I've lost count of how many times I've read it. It's uh, it's great. I believe it. Um, as far as the class of 2024, we already know that Jimmy Leland got in uh, prior to this, but uh, let's talk about Adrian Beltre. I guess if there was ever anyone that you knew was just going to get in on the first ballot, it would be Beltre. Uh, left off of 4.9% of the ballots, yet uh, here is somebody who had just a terrific career from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, he's somebody who had uh, has uh, uh, great appeals to those who are looking for old-school metrics, uh, 3,100 and something hits, 477 home runs. Uh, as for the advanced stats, he's fourth in jaws and second in fielding runs at third base behind only Brooks Robinson. Uh, very widely respected player within the game and beloved by the fans uh, for his antics on social media. Um, you know, that stuff like the moving, moving the, the, uh, the on-deck circle and the, um, the, the head games he'd play with uh, Elvis Andrews when they were playing next to each other with the Rangers. Uh, just a really easy choice for the Hall of Fame. I thought he would end up with a top 10 percentage because he'd gotten all but two votes from among the 218 that were uh, published prior to the election. Didn't quite come out that way, but still it's the second highest percentage for a player born outside the U.S. And if that sounds... Uh, hyperbolic, consider that uh, when he retired, he had the most hits of any player born outside the U.S. When Todd Helton uh, first appeared on the ballot, didn't seem like he had a chance, and, and you know what, to get in. Are you amazed that five years later he finds himself in Cooperstown? I am amazed that it happened as quickly as it did. I thought we could get there. I thought it would take eight or nine years uh, initially. Uh, Larry Walker certainly paved the way for him. Larry, Larry Walker needed ten years. Uh, for people to understand the Coors Field effect and all that. Although, to be fair, he was also on some of the most uh, uh, overstuffed ballots that we've ever seen with, like, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, et cetera, et cetera. Helton only caught the tail end of that, whereas Walker was kind of languishing for half of his uh, uh, time on the ballot um, in the shadow of those guys. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think people... Uh, 
came to understand that we could adjust for Coors Field and that Walker did have something going for him besides just that bat. He was an excellent defender um, and a uh, uh, very good hitter when he was away from Coors Field, too. So uh, I'm glad voters came to appreciate that, and uh, uh, it's nice to see somebody rally from uh, what's now the second lowest percentage uh, of any first-year candidate ever to get elected by the writers. I was a little surprised Joe Maurer got in on his first ballot. And, and I know he moved to first base towards the end of his career and was really kind of under league average for, for that position because he didn't have much power. Um, yet he was such a great catcher um, and, and did things that few catchers were able to do. It's just that he's one of those examples of guys that switched positions and was never really able over those last uh, you know, four or five years to uh, to replicate the power numbers, Jay. And he was never a huge power guy to begin with, but I'm just, uh, I didn't think Joe Maurer was going to get in on the first ballot, so that one surprised me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it going in, there were there've only been two catchers who've gotten in on the first ballot from the writers, and that's Johnny Bench and Yvonne Rodriguez. Um, so nobody uh, really thought it was a likelihood um, but, you know, I certainly made the case uh, for him and talked about the way that the writers had really kind of blown it time after time when it comes to these guys. I mean, Yogi Berra needed two ba- two ballots. Uh, we're talking about a three-time MVP and ten-time champion. I don't know what a guy has to do beyond that. Um, Carlton Fisk retired with the the record number of games caught. Uh, Gary Carter needed six years. He's number two in Jaws behind Johnny Bench. It's kind of ridiculous. So I'm glad... Um, that that, uh, that people understood just how how good a catcher Maurer was. I mean, his credentials are unique. The only three-time batting champion among catchers. Uh, the only one of two catchers to lead the league in on-base percentage multiple times. The only one to win a slash stat triple crown. That's leading the league in batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage in the same season. Uh, did all that. He won won a few gold gloves, won an MVP award, um, you know, was part of some very, very good Twins teams that unfortunately kept running into some very, very good Yankees teams. And, um, you know, it wasn't all Maurer's fault. He didn't do great in the postseason, but it was hardly his fault that uh, uh, they couldn't get past the Yankees even once. It seems like Carlos Beltran and Andrew Jones, uh, along with Billy Wagner, all have terrific opportunities to get into Cooperstown here in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, next year is going to be a, a, another uh, fun ballot. We've got Ichiro Suzuki uh, and CeCe Sabathia and Felix Hernandez reaching for the first time. Um, those holdovers, including Billy Wagner, uh, are going to have to battle uh, battle for space. I think Wagner will get in. Beltran and Jones uh, certainly have, uh, you know, they've crossed the 50% threshold. Jones has crossed the 60% threshold now. Everybody who's gotten to those points has eventually gotten in, with the exception of Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling. Um, the thing about both of those guys is they may have some impediments uh, in terms of, um, you know, hard caps on their support. If people, you know, if there are people out there who still believe that, uh, um, you know, the sign stealing uh, involvement is disqualifying for Bonds, or who believe that Andrew Jones's arrest for domestic violence uh, in 2012 is uh, disqualifying. That's gonna that's gonna slow their progress down, um, you know. And and I think particularly with the latter, uh, he's only, you know he's only got uh, a few more years on the ballot. We'll see. Um, but Beltran has eight years. Will there be some turnover in the electorate over the course of that time? Um, 
So I, I like his chances. I do too. Um, I, I think we all agree Ichiro is a slam dunk. I'm just interested to see how many ballots Ichiro appears on in his first year. Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably uh, got a shot. At, he's 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 probably the only candidate I can think of who has a real shot at unanimity, um, just because he was such a beloved player. Which is not to say he's not he's he's the single best candidate coming around, um, but there's just you know getting to three thousand hits despite not debuting stateside until age 27 is is incredible as is the the uh, the streak of 10 straight all-star appearances and 10 straight gold gloves to start his stateside's career uh, just a wonderful player um yeah i i i'm not going to predict unanimity but if anybody besides mariano rivera has a shot at it it's him I agree with you. Okay, a lot more Hall of Fame coverage from Jay at Fangraphs.com, so look for that in the coming days as we continue. How about uh, beer pick of the week, Jay? We going with your old favorite this time of year. Oh, I got a good one for you, Steve. New uh, new craft beer, well, new neighborhood for me. Okay. The craft beer store there stocks one of my all-time favorites, and that's Harvest Town Old Engine Oil, uh, a Scottish uh, craft out that is as black as black gets six uh, percent ABV uh, what's the, what's the tagline here that it's 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 roasty and chocolatey um, and it's just a wonderful beer uh, I bought uh, two four packs of it paid through the nose for it but the guy said he can get it in regularly this is the first time I've had it since uh, the since the start of the pandemic so uh, really wonderful to find it close to home and uh, uh, going to kick back with another one or two of those tonight i love it do we know where harveston brewery is from it is somewhere in scotland um let's see here i'm not quite sure um yeah i don't i don't have my scottish geography down uh all all so well and uh all right but but, uh, but if we if we have a chance to find old engine oil craft stout we have to pick some up Okay, and I'm sure it is uh, a little, you know, a little pricey based on where it is and what it is, but it's worth it, is what I'm hearing from you. So, okay, that is good to know, Jay. As always, you delivered uh, like you always do on the show. Appreciate the time, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it again with you right back here next week. All right, sounds great, Steve. Thanks a lot, Jay Jaffe, folks from Fangraphs.com. You can follow him on Twitter at J underscore Jaffe. Come back after KVIA news with plenty more in a moment. Sports talk continues. Six hundred ESPN El Paso. All right, ten in front of five as we continue here on Sports Talk. Five zero five six zero zero nine. That is our telephone number and the easiest way to get right on in and through to the program. In fact. Uh, Speaking of getting through, let's get right back to the calls and go to Domingo, who joins us next on the line. Domingo, what's happening, man? How are you? How are you, Captain? Well, today is the day. America bubbled. And you know who's going to win. America! Puro America all the way, baby. And yes, there's going to be a lot of America fans with the Benito tonight. Are you going to be one of them? Yes, I Sorry about that. Yes, I am going to be one of them. I'm wearing my jersey right now. I'm about to leave Waters in a little bit. But, yes, I'm one of, I'm one of those Americanistas. What do you call, by the way, um, I mean, you tell me, is this for you one of the biggest sporting events you will attend all year? Yes, one of the biggest. Well, this is a professional soccer match. Yep. And this is my 
and this is a team that I rooted as a teenager, so yeah. But and I'm still thankful I'm, I went I got to see America, even though I never been to the Azteca, but at least I'm thankful I got to see America like five times in my life. The the well, one in the Sunborn exhibition and the rest in Juarez. Nice. All right. And I'm st- Okay, you have a good one, guys. And, and for the record, I'm still on being in the, the Benito. Three wins and two draws. Oh, very nice. You're undefeated at the Benito. This is a chance to try to keep the streak alive. Very nice. Give me a uh, give me an America chant before I let you run. America, Aguila. America, Aganan. Have a good one, Cappy. You're the best, Domingo. Thanks for the call, pal. Awesome. Awesome stuff. That is one excited Club America fan heading out to the Benito right now to get ready to go check out uh, FC Juarez and uh, Club America and clearly uh, one of those uh, matches that so many fans get excited about. Yeah, I can tell you one uh, FC Juarez fan of our own, Alberto Reta, he's probably going to be heading out to this match as well, and uh, I know he's been uh, talking about this match as well. He, he actually put up an article, 600 uh talking about the fan experience and how to really be involved in FC Juarez. So go check it out. Definitely check that out. I, I saw that. That is, other uh, way, I like when you get a, a story like that, which gives you a little guidelines about how to really enjoy yourself across the border watching FC Wada's play. Yeah, and he even broke it down by like what food to get. He was really? saying how like the Wendy's burger is the way to go. He was saying how you bucks feast, you could even feast for less than $15 out there and he was just he was giving the the proper menu items as well. So fans who are heading out to that game tonight, America taking on FC Wada's, check out that article. Maybe you'll uh you'll you'll find a way or a different um emotive that like uh, Alberto has on his uh story as far as uh, experiencing these games at a high level speaking of feasting very important okay and that is friday 10 a.m another broken egg cafe dining deals a chance to enjoy a 50 dollar gift certificate for just 25 dollars now we were there this morning had a chance to meet the staff they were terrific um we had so much fun, and as you might imagine, if you listen to yesterday's show, you have an idea of who attended uh, that, uh, that breakfast for us. That was great, but um, I had the um, Floridian omelet, which uh, featured uh, crab on top of that omelet. So, so good. Adrian, yours looked amazing. It was. It was like the Deep South uh, Biscuit or something like that. They had this like jam on there. There was like bacon, uh, caram- uh, like caramelized onions, and like this jam that made the meal so much uh, better. So I loved it. Yep. I-, I loved the breakfast. I love the coffee, too. They, have it- oh, they had good. some nice mugs uh, yep. that they didn't have the first time I went. So, yeah, another Broken Egg Cafe. Big fan. The Deep South Biscuit Sandwich is what Adrian enjoyed. Crispy chicken tenders, pimento cheese, over medium egg, and bacon jam on an oversized biscuit served with a pickle and fresh country potatoes. Yeah, those potatoes are great, too, on the side. They rocked. Folks, dining deals. Friday, 10 a.m., $50 to another Broken Egg Cafe for just $25. You're going to want this. You're going to want to enjoy it. And then... You can uh, really enjoy the uh, the terrific food 
uh, brunch, lunch, breakfast, full bar, all at another Broken Egg Cafe. When we come back, hour two, Adrian has breaking news in Sports Center. You're not going to want to miss this. It's a big one. We'll have it in less than five minutes right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. It's the start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Along with Adrian Broaddus, uh, Steve Kaplowitz here. And, uh, man, we are excited about our next guest. Can you believe it, Adrian, if in, in just in a couple of weeks we get a chance to see this man face-to-face again just like we did when we were in Phoenix? Yeah, I hope that's the case, Steve. That would be awesome to uh, reconnect with Adam Teicher in person again. He's been so gracious over the years with his time uh, with us here on this show. And it was great to catch up in person last year for the first time. So what about uh, we do it again here, round number two in Vegas? Well, we'll ask him because uh, Adam joins us uh, right now as uh, we get a chance to talk about the Chiefs who are preparing for their big AFC championship matchup on Sunday in Baltimore against the Ravens. Uh, Adam, welcome back to the show. And uh, listen, if Adrian and I had a choice, we would say, oh, I I I want the Chiefs to win just so we could spend a little time with you again. It It was fun the last time. Yeah, it was, and uh, you know, I consider it done if the Chiefs win. But that—that's the easy part. The Chiefs have to win on Sunday in Baltimore. So if I'm going to be seeing you guys in a couple weeks, well, let's put it this way: uh, a lot of people didn't think that the Chiefs would even get out of Buffalo, and they did. So you know, that was a matchup that most figured would uh, you know could swing uh, the Bills' way. Finally, it did not. And uh, Mahomes continues to have their number. And this time around, maybe it's going to be a little different because of how strong Baltimore is as the number one overall seed out of the AFC. But it's so difficult to really count out Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Yeah, it is. Um, You know, Baltimore is is a more complete team than Buffalo is. And uh, it's going to be more of a challenge for the Chiefs than it was last week. But you're right. I mean, Mahomes has just been on fire in his last five playoff games. He's got 10 TDs, no interceptions, uh, completing like I think it's 69% of his passes, a high uh, yards per attempt uh, average. So uh, he's been on fire lately and uh, um, just has a knack for getting it done this time of year. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. He does. And uh, I guess for me, the, the biggest concern I had with the Chiefs was would the supporting cast around him be able to step up in the big moments? Because at times it seems like his receivers have let him down, but they've been able to rise to the challenge. And, you know, it's what makes that offense so dangerous this time of year. Yeah, yeah. They played better offensively the last couple of weeks. Um, um, the last couple regular season games and then uh, the two in the playoffs, they've played better. They're starting to get more big plays. Uh, they had a season high, I think it was eight plays, eight or nine plays last week against Buffalo of 20 yards or more. So this thing is starting to look a little more like it used to look, and uh, that's an encouraging thing for the Chiefs. You know, they're, they're going to have to stay away from the things that really hurt them during the regular season, and that's offensive sloppiness. They led the league in drop passes. They were second in the league in offensive penalties, and they were, I think, eighth in turnovers. You know, they're going to have to stay away from that stuff if they're going to win this week. Again, they need to play a clean offensive game. To me, that's a key. If the Chiefs can play a relatively clean offensive game in in those areas that I talked about just now, 
I think they've got a really good shot of winning the game. Adam, history really favors Patrick Mahomes, especially what he's been able to do in the postseason. 16 playoff starts, he's 13-3. and And you just reflect back to one of the greatest or the greatest quarterback to ever play, Tom Brady. He had a career playoff winning percentage of about 73%. Mahomes right now at about 81% in his winning percentage in the postseason. What does that say about his start and what he's been able to do so far in to uh, his young career in the NFL. Yeah, he's um, you know it's been remarkable, and you, you look at some of the, the the quarterbacks and the teams that he's gone up against and, and play uh, a beat. Uh, you know, you got Joe Burrow on that list, Josh Allen now three times. Um, you know, there was Tom Brady a couple times. He never got it done against him. Two of those losses against Tom Brady, one with New England, one with Tampa. That's the one he'd like to, uh, you know, he'd like to have back. But other than that, it's been uh, just a remarkable run for the Chiefs, and there's been some close games. They've they've won some, they've lost some. So uh, I, I think this uh, this one on Sunday could be another one of those classics. We're talking with Adam Teicher, who covers the Chiefs for ESPN.com here on Sports Talk, and uh, you know, we've, we've talked about the Chiefs' offense. I'm interested to see in their defense how they try and slow down Lamar Jackson. Is it even possible to slow him down, considering he's just as much, if not a bigger weapon, when he's running with the ball versus when he stays in the pocket to throw the football? Yeah, no, it's a huge challenge, and I, I think it's probably an advantage for the Chiefs that they faced Josh Allen last week. Uh, you know, different styles, but certainly uh, – you know they they had to be aware of him running. They they were really concerned about him beating them with his running last week. So uh, you know they, they're they're used to playing that kind of game. So um, I, I, but I'm with you. I'm curious how the Chiefs defense him too. Uh, um, you know what a strategy they employ to uh, to kind of slow him down. It's going to be interesting to see what their defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnolo comes up with. I mean, he's pretty creative. The Chiefs have done some interesting things this year, and uh, um, so I, I am interested to see how they handle it this week. Uh, Adam, want to ask you about Legereus Sneed. We spoke to him last year because there was some kind of a Conference USA connection. He had played at La Tech and played against UTEP yeah. during his college uh, career. But this season, he's really emerged and taken an, a big step forward in what he's been able to do in pass coverage. How does he and, and the secondary hope to contain Lamar's air raid uh, game You know, if he, th- he starts throwing uh, the ball around all over the field? Yeah, he's been a Sneed's been a key guy for the Chiefs uh, this year in in that their sort of defensive um, you know what they've been able to accomplish on defense. They were second in the league in scoring defense this year and he's been a big part of that. He's the Chiefs have used him to travel a lot with the opponent's top receiver and he's done a really nice job. I mean, you you're talking about a who's who of the great receivers in the league right now. Guys like Tyreek Hill, and Justin Jefferson and Christian Kirk and just a number of other guys, basically every week the, the, the top receiver for the Chiefs have played against. And uh, he's done a really nice job. Last week he gave up his first touchdown of the season to the Bills. But other than that, he'd, uh, he had a shutout this year. So uh, um, I expect him maybe to uh, go uh, with Zay Flowers on Sunday. And uh, um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that matchup turns out. So, uh, yeah, Snead has been a key guy for the Chiefs. I think if you were to list, uh, 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 put together a list of Chiefs MVPs, just team MVP this year, he'd have to be up high. I, I'd put him maybe 
second or third if I was going to make a list because he's been so valuable in uh, uh, what he not only what he's done but what he his abilities have allowed the Chiefs to do around him. It's it's been uh, a truly remarkable thing. Adam Teicher covers the Chiefs for uh, ESPN.com. He joins us here on Sports Talk as we continue. What is the one big matchup for the Chiefs' defense that you're looking at the most? Is there a like receiver, uh, you know, versus a defensive, either a cornerback or even a linebacker situation where you're looking at this going, that is going to be for me the biggest test for that KCD. Yeah, it's two things really. Number one is the uh, the Legarius Sneed Zay Flowers matchup, and and how uh, you know the Chiefs can fare in that uh, in that matchup. The other thing is how do they handle? It's not necessarily a person, but how do they handle Lamar Jackson with the pass rush? Do they do they uh, uh, come after him and, and try to uh, make him force him into mistakes? Do they uh, but risk flushing him out of the pocket and running on him? Uh, how, how do they handle that? Do they play more coverage and and, uh, and more zone to to account for his running ability? So uh, just curious out of seat to see what the Chiefs have uh, uh, planned for that. You know, this is the first time ever that Jackson and Mahomes will face off in the postseason. It's also the first time in NFL history that two NFL MVP quarterbacks under the age of 30 will go against each other uh, in the playoffs. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of firsts in this meeting. And I know we talk so much about, you know, Buffalo and KC and Allen versus Mahomes and, and how that matchup has been, uh, you know, played out the last few years. But we could be seeing a lot of Kansas City versus Baltimore in future playoff rounds. Yeah, and um, you know, Mahomes talked about that today. He sort of said, "Hey, listen, this won't be the last time um, we get together in the playoffs. It's going to happen again and, and again." And, and I, I think he's probably right. You know, uh, um, the Chiefs have uh, played uh, three times against Josh Allen the last four years, and in the playoffs and, and beating them each time. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering whether Buffalo, uh, you know, a couple of those games were just classics, including the game the other day. Um, I'm, but I'm wondering whether Buffalo's time, you know, their window is starting to close here. Maybe, maybe uh, they're going to be, uh, you know, I don't know that we're going to see another Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes playoff game anytime soon. But Lamar Jackson, yeah, I, I think the window is, is, is still open or going to be open for a while for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. So I, I think this is, I think Mahomes is right. I think this is the first of maybe several um, playoff meetings between Jackson and Mahomes. How do you handicap Andy Reid and John Harbaugh, two of the best in the league at what they do? Yeah, and uh, you look, they're certainly familiar with one another. Uh, Harbaugh used to coach for him with the Eagles way back in the day. So, uh they know each other well, and um, you know they've they've had some interesting games over the years. The Chiefs and the Ravens have, so um, yeah, I I, I, uh, I I think this is going to be one of the uh, the stories of this game. Who uh, who who has the uh, advantage? Who who wins the X and O battle? Uh, you know, I I think a lot of uh, Reed is a play caller, and, and Steve Spagnuolo is a defensive coordinator. So. Uh, I always feel like the Chiefs have a chance in that matchup, the coaching matchup going in. But Baltimore's got a veteran group that uh, um, has done a great job this year. So that's uh, that, that's another 
intriguing part of this game. Adam, with Joe Tooney right now, as you and Adam Schefter reported, it's kind of trending like he is not going to be playing on Sunday. And then you look at Isaiah Pacheco, the starting running back for the Chiefs. He's also, uh, he was sitting out of practice today due to a toe injury. How does that impact the Chiefs moving forward? Yeah, I think Pacheco will play, but yeah, you, you never know until he gets out there exactly uh, how healthy he's going to be. So that that's something to watch for. He has become such a big part of what the Chiefs do offensively, and the, their running game is just not the same without him. And, and uh, you know, he's had uh, almost 100 yards in each of the two playoff games, and uh, so the Chiefs really need a healthy Pacheco, no doubt. Now, as far as Joe Tooney goes, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to play and, um, you know, that's a loss to the Chiefs. No other way to put that. He led the league in pass block win rate among offensive linemen. There were no linemen, regardless of position, did any better than Joe Tooney did. So that, that's good. The Chiefs have a guy they really like to take his place in, uh, Nick Allegretti, who has started some games for them in the past and um, is probably a step up above your normal backup guard. Uh, he, he's a pretty good player who uh, – could start for a lot of teams. The Chiefs have two great guards, Joe Tooney and Trey Smith, so he doesn't have the opportunity here. But uh, they have a great center, too, in in Creed Humphrey. So Allegretti doesn't uh, have an opportunity to start here normally, but he's a good player, and I think the Chiefs will be okay there. Adam Teicher with us here on Sports Talk. What do you think, Uh, high-scoring or low-scoring game? Um, I think it's going to be more high-scoring than people think. I mean, you know, you look at the Ravens and the Chiefs. These are the two top-scoring defenses in the league. You know, Baltimore was one, Kansas City was two, and you're thinking, okay, you know, we're going to have a you know 17-14 game. But I don't see that kind of game developing with Lamar Jackson and Pat Mahomes. I think it's going to be a little more high-scoring than that. So I, I, you know, I don't know that it's going to get in the 30s for each team or anything like that. But it's not going to be in the teens for each team. I'm pretty comfortable with that saying that. All right. And as far as the other game goes, uh, Detroit and uh, San Francisco. I asked your brother about this. I mean, you know, it's kind of fun because you both grew up in Michigan before you moved out to Southern California. So do you have some personal feelings towards the Lions making this run? Yeah, you know, I went to college back there too at Michigan State, so uh, I, I really, uh, I, I really would like to see the Michigan team make the Super Bowl. Those fans have really suffered for a lot of years. I think the storylines would be great, whether it's the Lions and the Ravens or the Lions and the Chiefs. So I would personally love to see the uh, Lions win, and I think they got a chance. You know, to me. The key is Debo Samuel for the 49ers and how healthy he is. I mean, if he's anything close to 100%, I'd like the 49ers to win that game. But if he's not, I think the Lions have an excellent chance to uh, to win that thing. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see that one as well. All right. I picked Chiefs and Lions, the ultimate uh, Adam Teicher dream matchup. So we will see if that happens. and We would too. And as always, great insight. And uh, we hope to get a chance to spend a little time with you in Vegas here in a few weeks. All right. Great stuff, guys. I'm looking forward to it. He's Adam Teicher, covers the Kansas City Chiefs uh, for ESPN.com, joins us here on Sports Talk. Come back with more in a moment right after Charlie won and this traffic update. 
All of our guests here on Sports Talk appear via the Longhorn Distributing Hotline. For 30 years, Longhorn Distributing has provided top-of-the-line detail products at fair and competitive prices. Check them out at 5516 East Paisano with parking in the back. And while you're there, say hi to Lorne, Danny, and the whole crew at Longhorn Distributing. Meanwhile, we jump back out to the phone lines, and uh, joining us right now is Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com, your one-stop shop for all fantasy sports. We've got a ton going on at Rotowire, including the fantasy baseball draft kit that is now up and running, and it's important that you get the draft kit online because they are no longer publishing hard copies. So, Jeff, another good reason why the website should be your one-stop shop for all fantasy sports. Yeah, absolutely, and we're constantly updating the site. I spent a lot of the time uh, the last two days adding uh, like possible rookie uh, hitters and pitchers that are going to make a contribution at this point in time. You know, trying to figure out like what Paul Skeens is going to do this year when he's had like six innings of professional ball, but could, you know, it could be like Strasburg where he gets the early call anyhow, you know, trying to figure that out because, you know, people are going to draft him for this year. That's hard to do because I always say, and you gave me great advice and I'm going to give, I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of this because the advice you gave me was when you're drafting uh, those first year player drafts and prospects, Always go hitter versus pitcher because the injury risk and the uncertainty factor makes it so difficult to gamble on pitchers. Yeah, and plus, there's I, I feel like there's a lot more free loot when it comes to pitchers generally. Guys break out uh, that we don't anticipate among pitchers a lot more readily than hitters. Hitters we can usually see coming a little bit quicker, whereas the pitchers develop a, you know add two miles to their uh, to their fastball or add a new pitch, and all of a sudden they're a different pitcher. It seems like that happens more frequently there. I mean, you can hitters can transform too, but it doesn't seem like that it is out of the blue as much. So uh, one thing we do have on the site right now is James Anderson uh, has his first-year player draft uh, guide, if you will. Like he, you know, he, our, James is our top prospect guide, dynasty guide, writes Farm Futures. One of his favorite features is the uh, guide to first-year player drafts, and he breaks it down into tiers. Uh, can kind of lay it out for you, and it's some good stuff there. It is, because there are a lot of leagues that have those first-year player drafts annually, especially the dynasty leagues, and and uh, we we play in a bunch of those ourselves, where all of a sudden you, you get first pick of everybody that's part of the draft. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's a pretty good class coming in, too, so pretty excited to see, uh, you know, you know, and I'm in two slow drafts right now, so I'll be able to write those up a little bit and talk about some of my decisions and all that. So some good stuff there. All right, I'll ask you this. If you're in a prospect draft, not a first year, but a prospect draft, um, oh, no, you know what? Well, let's go first year because these are both first-year guys. Do you take Wyatt Langford or Dylan Cruz? I take Langford, and then I take Yamamoto. Well, uh, see, but Yamamoto Cruz. sometimes are not in – our our drafts like uh, and it's this is kind of an interesting story, okay? Because you're right. You, okay. you mentioned Yamamoto. Sometimes when you have free agency as part of the dynasty drafts combined with prospects, a Japanese player will go into the free agent pool versus the prospect pool because technically they're not really a prospect. They're they're more of a free agent who's come around from Japan. Sure, of course, and I and I I appreciate that. Um, I, I, as long as you're consistent with that, uh, yeah. I have no problem do, going that route. Um, what do you do with a guy like Otani, though? Or, you know, who... 
free agent you know, draft. Uh, free, he's a he's a it's part of the free agent pool because. No, but I'm talking yeah. when he came up. Because, Same thing. You know, he was a guy that you know he, came from think, ja- came from Japan. Anybody yeah, who I, comes I, I from Japan does not care. Yeah. Does, for us, doesn't qualify as a prospect. Yeah, and sometimes though, like I think we're getting to the point where he he's such a unique case because he mm-hmm. came over when he was so young. That that that's more what I'm driving at here. Yeah. But yeah, um, no, you're right. And I, but I get it. Just like just. Just as some people argue that Japanese players shouldn't be eligible for Rookie of the Year, um, and I get that. The fact is, they are eligible. Um, so that's why I'm usually in the of the mindset. Hey, let's uh, go ahead and uh, make them available on a first year player. Enough. But you know, each each league is their own. I feel like the reason why they should not be held to those standards is they will sometimes go straight to the big leagues. Where yeah. most of the time, the prospects that are part of that draft spend a few years in the minor leagues before they even get the call. So it yeah. almost you seems know who it I'm almost thinking seems of. It wasn't Otani. It was yeah. Shinshu Chu. Right. Chu came up as a prospect. Remember, he didn't even he. I, I don't think he even played in the KBO before coming over. He came over to you know and rose through the Mariners minor league system. Um, and 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 I think he was even in the uh, in Cleveland system, but then got traded to the Mariners, if I recall correctly. I mean, he yeah. he came every step step of the way. He came over so young. I feel like that's different. I feel like if you're coming over and you have not really played any professional ball of, of note, then yes, you should be considered a prospect just like everybody else. But yep. we've never in in our leagues we've never grouped. Japanese players or players from uh, you know from uh, those leagues as true prospects because a lot of the times when they come over they go right to the big leagues so it's almost like they have an advantage over all the other prospects. Yep, that's right. All right. Meanwhile, um, Reese Hoskins signed with the Brewers. Uh, this seems like a good landing spot for him. He'll play first, and if he can stay healthy, we've seen it trending. A lot of guys have done very well in Milwaukee uh, from a batting standpoint. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, the, certainly the playing time was there. Uh, if you look at like what, what Milwaukee has at their corners, um, he it was wide open for him. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking right now, and you know the thing is, like I just it's so funny because I just added a projection for Tyler Black, who's one of their top prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thought that he could be up midseason that might push him back a little bit. But Jake Bowers and Owen Miller were going to be sharing the first base job prior to that, um, and Montessera. Monasterio, sorry, I get that wrong all, all the time. Uh, was is slated to be their third baseman. Point is, there's openings there, so it is nice for Hoskins. We'll see, uh, you know, if he's ready to go at the start of the season. The fact that they signed him to a two-year deal maybe suggests that they get a little less out of year one and a lot more out of year two. So we'll see. Um, he missed the entirety of the season after tearing that ACL in spring training, though. Yeah, and by the way, you mentioned uh, Tyler Black. I still view him as a third baseman, not a first baseman. So I agree. Um, I agree. He, yeah, I also view him as a very poor defender too. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's a second baseman turned outfielder turned third baseman. So we'll see what ha- where he lands. Well, the interesting thing is now that's now I'm looking at uh, RotoWire's depth charts, which is another great tool and feature on the websites. We should plug that as well. We've got Christian Yelich right now listed as DH because Jackson Churio is in center, Garrett Mitchell is in left, and Sal Freelich is in right. Uh, I mean, how much DH do you think Yelich plays versus playing in the outfield? I think it's a good, uh, it's a pretty good question. Don't forget Joey Weimer too is mm-hmm. a guy that could factor in as well. Um, I, I think he, you know, I think it's not like Yelich isn't. 
It's because of the arm more than anything. Uh, I only played 20 games at DH last year, so I, I think. I mean, I, I think it depends. Like if Freelick hits, they'll probably want to prefer to have him out there, but. I think maybe he goes from like 20 to 40 or 45 games at DH. I still think he gets the majority of his work in the outfield. We'll have more in a moment as we continue our conversation with Jeff Erickson. But first, right back to Adrian in this SportsCenter update. Adrian, thank you very much. We go back to our Longhorn Distributing Hotline, and that's where we find Jeff Erickson from rotowire.com. Now, Jeff, still a ton of big free agents left in Major League Baseball, but a few days ago we found out that Josh Hader would land in Houston, signs a five-year deal with the Astros. So let's talk about the implications, what that does for Hader's value, and also uh, obviously what that's going to do for Ryan Presley, who has been the closer the last few years for the Astros. Yeah, it's a big surprise in a way because the Astros – for all their success, they haven't signed a ton of free agents, um, and they they haven't had the long term outlay. And for it to be on a closer of all things is a little a little shocking uh, to me. But they they recently lost Kendall Graveman for the season, uh, so they they were losing some depth, uh, and their depth was tested a little bit last year as it was. Uh, so now th- this pushes Presley out of the closer's job. I, he might get five saves. You know, six saves. You know, when Hater's not available on days, something something of that nature. But Hater's. I mean, you spend that money. Hater's going to be the closer. I think we pretty much know that. Um, I, I. But so yeah, what this does is takes away one solid minted closer from us in our draft pool. You know, we were hoping like Hater would land on a team that maybe a little might have been a little less settled back there at the back end of the bullpen, but. I think that, you know, it obviously evaporates a lot of Presley's value. And in deeper leagues, 15-team leagues, or draft and whole leagues, you're still going to be drafting Presley. But um, in your standard 10- or 12-team mixed leagues, you know, that pretty much takes Presley off the board, uh, you know, until maybe the end game. But uh, so that's just adds a little pressure to get a closer to us. You know, and usually in spring training, one or two guys are going to get hurt, so they'll mm-hmm. take it off, the, lop it off the top. I feel like the closer pool is a little deeper this year than it's been in other years. I've been trying to avoid the push of spending an early pick on a closer. I'm doing a slow draft right now, 15-teamer. Uh, we're through five – well, halfway through five rounds. I'm through five rounds at least. And I've avoided that nudge. But I, as I see guys go off the board, it, it's it's getting a little, a little uh, tantalizing there, a little frustrating. And, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But I – I want to wait for closer. I always want to wait, but I, this this adds a little pressure. We still have a lot of good names left in the free agent market. I'm a little surprised that here we are mid uh, late January, and uh, again, there's there's a, a ton of good names available without teams right now. We have a Cy Young winner still out there on the yep, market. We do. I mean, that's crazy. Think about that. I mean, and and what other year would a Blake Snell still be out there? That 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 is wild to me. Absent collusion. Um, you know, or absent a lockout or something like that. Um, Cody Bellinger's still out there, too. Those are two massive names. Well, if Blake Snell's been offered five years and $150 million by the Yankees and he turned it down, I'm interested to see really what he's looking for when it's all said and done. Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, he may, he may have to bring his, his demands down. We'll see. I'm always skeptical of these claimed offers and turned down because – there can be framing involved. Remember the Bryce Harper free agency uh, discourse, where you know the Nats reportedly you know offer them this massive sum, and then it turns out oh it's seventy five percent deferred. 
You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you offered it, sort of, not really. And if it's if it's that much disturbed, then I mean, I mean, uh, if it's if it's that much deferred, then you're looking at the actual true long-term value is worth a lot less. Meanwhile, let's switch it over uh, from baseball to football. And the big story right now, Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan, going to the Chargers. What's your initial reaction to that news? Uh, I think we've seen this. You know, it's been forecasted, and it's interesting to see that the rumor actually was true for once. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's going to be a pretty good match. I think wherever Jim Harbaugh goes, they win. Uh, whether or not he, he can get along with everyone in the long run, that, that's, that's a different story. I think he kind of wore out his welcome in San Francisco, but his team's won there. I mean, for what it's worth, they, they, he had really good results. So I think this is good news if you have Justin Herbert in the Dynasty League. Um, mm-hmm. Just I, I feel like he's going to be – well, I feel like his teams at least will be better. I think it's going to be good from that standpoint. They're going to have to figure out some cap situations there, which, you know, and how to piece together that roster, but it'll be a well-coached team at the very least. Adrian, is Harbaugh the kind of guy that could finally bring the Chargers back to prominence? Uh, It's hard to tell, but he's had success everywhere, right? I mean, it feels like that's a cursed organization, just like the Clippers are uh, on the basketball side of things. Uh, The Chargers, it always seems... Like, they have opportunities, but just can never get over to the goals that they set out for themselves. So maybe Harbaugh can finally break that curse. I'm interested in that. Uh, other coaching news, by the way, today was we heard that uh, Doc Rivers is going to the Milwaukee uh, Bucks. That's an interesting in, uh, you know, in-season hire. You don't often see teams that are 33-10 and 10 firing their coach. so Or 30-13, and 13, excuse me, yeah. uh, firing their coach. Regardless, you know, elite team firing their coach, but... There's been rumblings all the way back since training camp that the the, the player coach relationship was not strong, and when I say player, we're talking Giannis here. Sure. Um, I'm not so my my Milwaukee peeps, uh, and I, there are many in the RotoWire group because we're based out of Madison, Wisconsin. They saw this coming, and they they approve of the decision at least to uh, to move on from Griffin. I don't know if Doc Rivers is the answer. We'll see. I've seen you know we've seen him get out coached in some pretty big situations in the past. We have. We'll see if it happens again this time around because the East is good. There's a lot of quality yep. in the uh, NBA Eastern Conference, so it will be interesting to watch. All right, back to football, Championship Sunday. Who do you like in the big games? I like the Ravens uh, over the Chiefs. I think I feel more strongly about my pick on that than I do uh, Niners and Lions, uh, especially against the number. I, I feel like uh, the, the number should, in Baltimore, Kansas City, should be close to five and a half or six. Uh if you, I mean, they, they've just clearly been the better team all year. They're, they're more than one point better than the uh, Chiefs, and I, know, I, I say one point because the standard line home field advantage is two and a half, is worth two and a half points, and the line's three and a half. So, I, I just think they've been a better better than that all season against the Chiefs. You know, than the Chiefs. Uh, they're the healthier the two teams going in this week. That wasn't the case last week for the Chiefs versus the Bills. Uh, I think it's going to be a tougher road to hoe. I know it's kind of crazy to go against Mahomes and Andy Reid for that matter, but all this time, all these games have been in Arrowhead, so I think it's a little bit different this time. So I like the Ravens side of things. I think that uh, I really think this Baltimore defense is one of those inner circle good defenses, and I think they're going to make life tough on the Chiefs. When did home field go from a field goal to two and a half? About, I feel like it's been the last like three or four years, two, maybe two or three years. Um, 
Yeah, I think three is more, you know, it's, I, I, I think we think it's been three longer than it has uh, because, you know, round number, it's, it's you know, the amount of a scoring, you know, it's the amount of a field goal. And so thus, you know, it's, it's a magic number betting wise. But in terms of the actual advantage, I think it's been closer to two and a half for a few years, maybe since COVID. Okay, that's good to know. Um, uh, and by the way, um, you do like San Francisco on the other side. I like him to win, but not cover. Um, I, I, I'm, but I, I don't feel I don't I don't have a whole lot of conviction behind that. Detroit's a little bit, you know, is banged up on their offensive line, but the Niners are missing Debo potentially. And let's face it, that when Debo has been out. Earlier this year, that's when the Niners went on their three-game losing streak. Got hurt early in that game against Cleveland, a nasty game in the rain, and that has a lot to do with that game as well. Uh, Jake Moody missed the field goal at the end and all, all, all that. Uh, but then they lost at Minnesota on Monday night, and they lost at home to Cincinnati uh, the week after that. Uh, I think it's a big deal if Debo doesn't play. All right. If my wishes come true and the Chiefs and Lions play in the Super Bowl, Remember, you heard it first on this show. Okay, okay. All right. I went four and zero last week. Not to say I can't go zero and two this week, but I did go four and zero last week in the division. That would be my mom's perfect Super Bowl, by the way. She's from Michigan, big Detroit. You know, grew up in Detroit, and now they live in uh, Kansas. My parents live in Kansas, so those are the two teams. She certainly would would be behind. Would be really happy about. Well, before he brought you on, we had Adam Teicher on, who covers the Chiefs for ESPN.com, and he said the same thing. He went to school at uh, Michigan State, and he covers the Chiefs. So that would be the ultimate Teicher family Super Bowl if that was Yeah, happen. there you so, go. We'll see. And my mom went to the University of Michigan, too. So it's, oh, wow. It's, life is good for her right now. It sounds like she's doing just fine. That's for yeah. sure. Um, all right, as far as the website goes, I talked about all the great baseball content. Let's talk about some of the other great things that are happening at Rotowire and how our listeners can take advantage. Sure. Uh, you can check it all out, rotowire.com slash free. It gets you a free trial, peek behind the paywall, and you can explore it for yourself no matter what you sport you cover. Because, you know, if you are in fantasy hoops, we've got a lot of big trades in the NBA right now. And, of course, uh, coming up close to the All-Star break, but the trade deadline approaching, uh, you know, there's going to be some other big deals we'll be breaking down. Hockey's also going mm-hmm. crazy. But, you know, you're getting ready for your baseball drafts. You can check out our draft kit. You can check out our projections. Uh, you know, check out James Anderson's great work. He just updated our prospect ranking in addition to other uh, you know, prospect features. Check it all out, rotowire.com slash free. Get your free peek behind the paywall. Fantastic. We'll talk to you again next week, Jeff. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Steve. Jeff Erickson, rotowire.com, as we continue. All right. Our uh, Longhorn Distributing Hotline is going to stay busy. It's going to burn up in the 6 o'clock hour when Ben Carlisle joins us from Bleed Tech Blue. He'll give us the lowdown on Lot Tech. UTEP's opponents tomorrow. In fact, we have a 30-minute show tomorrow, so we will be doing a lot uh, on our Friday program and, of course, our 6 o'clock hour. Only half an hour coming up tomorrow. We'll wrap up Hour 2 in a moment. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues right after KVIA News. It's next, 600 ESPN El Paso. 10 in front of 6 as Sports Talk continues. Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers, one of the big stories. But you had another big one locally uh, going on during Sports Center. That's right. Uh, Eastwood made it official. Heard about this one. Um, you know, a while uh, for a while, kind of behind the scenes. But I'm happy that now it's made official. Eastwood will be uh, taking on one of the best teams in all of high school football, St. John Bosco. This is a historic uh, announcement here uh, for this Eastwood football program. Happy for Julio Lopez. Uh, does not shy away from any competition. I, I think that's uh, – I'm putting it lightly there by saying that. 
Well, I mean, you know, is this the first time St. John's Bosco will have played against an El Paso team? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, they they don't. They, this team right here is ranked in the uh, by across the country sixth. They were the 2022 national champions. Uh, so not just the California champions, national champions. So this you- is a squad that really kills it. And and your question, how do you compete for national uh, championships like that? You throw your name into a mix uh, among the best teams across uh, high school football, and yeah. you play in a tournament like that. So my question wasn't even that. My question is, how do you get the? Pl- how do you put this together? Like, oh yeah. How do you even get this deal done? How do you play St. John's Bosco in a high school football game? Yeah, I think. I think we need to get the full story from Julio Lopez on the radio. I, t- I, heard, I talked to him off the record and you know about this and putting this all together. What I can reveal is that relationships mean everything. When, when you talk about putting together a game like this, and uh, he leaned heavily on his relationship-building skills. Will this also be a, uh, a game in California for Eastwood, I'm assuming? So this is only in California. This is not going to be in El Paso. Well, no, I would expect that. But, right. But that's also a pretty significant bus ride to uh, to bus out yeah. to California for this game. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if they will end up doing that. It's uh, Bellflower, California, August 30th. And I would, I would assume that they bus out there, uh, but that's a long ride. Uh, yes, it is. In fact, in case you're wondering just uh, how long of a ride it is, it is a 11-hour and 41-minute drive, and that's uh, assuming you're not busing. So you got to figure that if you're going to bus that uh, that route, that's probably going to take closer to uh, probably 13, 14 hours. So maybe the idea, and I, I have no clue, but maybe the idea is to go out to San Diego, maybe spend the night there, and then uh, drive up to Bellflower after or the next day. But I, I'm not too sure. I'll, I'll try to get the lay, uh, the lowdown from uh, Julio Lopez on how he put this together. Does Julio have enough con- uh, connections through the Eastwood alumni where they can charter a 737 like UTEP? Oh, that's a good question. I just thought about it. Is Speaking of connections he's good friends with jeremy springer somebody he played with at uh utep so if springer stays with the rams their special teams assistant coach who knows maybe they get a chance to go out to inglewood since they'll be kind of in the area and uh maybe visit sofi and maybe uh, get a chance to go visit uh training camp with the rams that'd be really cool like too that. all right very nice that's uh this could be the first time ever that in el paso high school has played a california high school uh in a football game this could be it's it's one of the few times, and I uh, I definitely commend all the coaches recently who've uh, gone off and tried to play better talent or better teams outside of uh, not just El Paso, but even the state of Texas. That's admirable, right there. They played South Lake Carroll in the past, state champions across uh, Texas, and so now they're testing themselves against not just one of the best teams in California, one of the best teams in all of the country. Makes it uh, for a fun uh, topic of conversation. It really does as we. Wind up our number two here on Sports Talk. Still to come, Ben Carlisle, Bleed Tech Blue. He will join us on our 600 ESPN El Paso Longhorn Distributing Hotline to talk a little bit about the big matchup tomorrow, in which uh, at 5 o'clock it'll be UTEP and La Tech, 4.30 countdown to tip, which means we are only on for 30 minutes tomorrow with John Teicher before we come back with a full three-hour edition on Friday. So we'll do that next. Ben Carlisle live and giving us the lowdown on UTEP's opponents. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. Adrian Broadus. And welcome back, everybody. Third and final hour of Sports Talk is underway. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. 
Coming up here at 600 ESPN El Paso. Let's jump right back out. Longhorn Distributing Hotline in the middle of El Paso. Longhorn Distributing is where the professional dealers shop for their supplies. Well, we shopped around for uh, a familiar voice who will give us the lowdown on uh, La Tech, UTEP's opponents tomorrow, and that is none other than Ben Carlisle. He is the publisher of Bleed Tech Blue, uh, the number one source for anything Bulldogs and La Tech. Ben, Happy New Year. Welcome back. Good to have you on the program today. How are you? Oh, doing pretty well, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. We appreciate you being here. In fact, excited about tomorrow's game from Ruston for a lot of reasons. Uh, number one, Miners are playing better. Uh, these last two home wins have given them uh, much-needed confidence here in Conference USA play. And their opponents are off to a 3-1 and one start. The Bulldogs are 13-6 and six overall, including 9-0 and oh at home. I think this has the makings for a very good matchup. There's no doubt about it. I think it should be a really good college basketball game t- tomorrow evening over here in Ruston, Louisiana. You know, you, you talk a little bit about this Louisiana Tech team, and I, I know I was on with you guys uh, probably at a, a similar time last season. Uh, where Louisiana Tech had some struggles, and that was kind of a, a first for the program in quite some time. Uh, finish up 15 and 18 overall last year in Calvin Hester's first year at the helm of the program. And they, they made a, a ton of all season changes. Uh, they add nine transfers to this roster. And it's really paid big dividends for Louisiana Tech. Uh, like you mentioned, 13 and six overall, three and one in conference play. Uh, really doing a nice job, you know, 9-0 and at home. And I, I know they're excited uh, to get back on their home floor tomorrow night after starting conference play with three or the first four on the road. Now, I want to talk to you about the home record this season because 3-1 and one and doing that on the road is a big deal. But of the nine games at home and the uh, nine wins, have they been tested yet on their home floor? Because – I've looked at the opponents they've played, and they didn't have a ton of names in the non-conference season that really jumped out at you. Yeah, I think that's an adequate question. I think that's a really good question. I I would say the biggest test they got at home was obviously McNeese State, a team that's you know seventeen and two overall. I think they're uh, have won twelve in a row. Now that's probably been the team uh, that tested them the most in the non-conference. And then you go back. Uh, I guess week to 10 days ago when, when Liberty came to town, obviously the preseason favorite uh, in Conference USA. And, you know, Liberty led that basketball game, uh, you know, for probably 35, 36 minutes before Louisiana Tech, you know, clawed their way back into it, push it into overtime, and ultimately pick up that 80-76 to 76 win. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have followed Louisiana Tech from afar, uh, just sharing the same conference with you, Jeff. And, uh, it, it's kind of a town, or Ruston's a town that when you get into this portion late January into February, if the basketball team's good, uh, you'll start seeing some pretty solid crowds. And that, that's kind of what we uh, saw against Liberty, like I said, about 10 days ago. And uh, hope to see on this homestand with UTEP and New Mexico State this week. So I want to ask you, Ben, about Isaiah Crawford, because it feels like he's been giving UTEP fans nightmares forever. And it's true. I mean, he's a four-year or actually a five-year player at La Tech. That that stuff is unheard of in today's era of college basketball. Not only did he stick around for uh, the coaching change from Eric Conkle to Talvin Hester, but he's really made uh, La Tech 
Tech, his home, and, and found a lot of success in this conference. How much does he mean to the community? How much uh, is it, you know, what, what played a part in him staying with La Tech all these years? Yeah, Isaiah's had a really, really good college career. I, I think at times, and you know, you look at, like you said, a, a lot of guys don't stick around five years. This kid's been through a lot. He's had two ACL injuries that uh, I think his freshman year out in El Paso, he tore his first ACL. Two years later, uh, he tore it again, I believe, in the third game of the season. So uh, it's been a long journey for him. I think in his fifth year, we're seeing him start to play the best basketball of his career. And that, that's not to say uh, that he have, hasn't had good years in, in years past, but uh, you know, you, you go back to the Jacksonville State game on Saturday, a road game. It's never easy to win on the road. He goes for a career-high 30, 21 of those come in the second half. Uh, he had 22 points and seven blocks against Liberty. He's really – he's the heart and soul of this team. You watch him play, not the most vocal kid in the world, but goes out there, takes care of his business on both ends of the floor. And, you know, I actually tweeted out earlier this week, uh, I hope Louisiana Tech fans realize that, you know, you're watching an all-timer. Like, not a guy that's going to be all up in the stands celebrating with the fans, but night in and night out, he, he brings it. And, and like I said, he, he's the heart and soul of this team. Uh, and, and it's been a joy to kind of watch him progress throughout his career. But why why did he decide to stay, Ben? I mean, I just want to hammer that one because yeah. UTEP's had guys who've stuck around maybe one or two years. Something will happen. They'll end up leaving. You think that that player will stay there for life. But what led to him actually deciding to stay? And so I guess the injuries are part of it. But uh, what led to him actually staying and, and seeing it out here at La Tech? Yeah, that's another good question that I failed to answer. Yeah, so Calvin Hester was on the previous staff with Eric Conkle. He left for a year, obviously, to go out to Texas Tech before coming back as the head coach. And I think really, you know, it boils down to he really believed in the vision that Calvin Hester was selling. And like I said earlier, last year was a rough year. Like 15 and 18, a team that had some expectations. Uh, I think there were a lot of question marks in the offseason. You know, if Isaiah Crawford doesn't come back, uh, if he chooses to enter the transport portal, kind of where does this program look to as far as a go-to guy on both ends of the floor? But uh, he's bought in completely. Like I said, you get nine new guys on this roster, and they've done a, a really good job in just getting buy-in, uh, especially on the defensive end of the floor, because that's where you know Calvin Hester, much like Joe Golden, they they, they like to kind of you know base you know what they're about. It starts on that defensive end of the floor, but. Uh, Isaiah Crawford, he's a program guy, and like I said earlier, uh, just an all-timer, and I hope Louisiana Tech fans realize that uh, as he kind of winds down his career over the next month or so. Ben Carlisle is the publisher of BleedTechBlue.com, giving us the lowdown right now on UTEP's opponents tomorrow. Daniel Bacho is having a terrific season, uh, almost 15-10 and 10, uh, averaging per game and two blocks to go along with that. I feel like he is going to be a handful tomorrow for the UTEP bigs. Let's talk a little bit about Bacho and what he brings to the table. Yeah, he's been a huge addition. And, you know, beyond the 15 points and 10 rebounds a game, uh, it's the, the shot blocking, the shot altering at the rim that, that's really changed so much for Louisiana Tech on that defensive end of the floor. And we, we have a radio show here at Rustin Bleed Tech Blue Radio, and we had Talik Chavez, a sharp shooting guard, who's kind of emerged as that defensive stopper on the perimeter. And, you know, we asked him, you know, how much easier does that make your job as a perimeter defender 
And it allows you as a perimeter defender to get into the body of some guys knowing that you have a guy back there in the paint that can, like I said, alter shots, block shots. He's just done so much for Louisiana Tech. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're going to give him, you know, 20 post touches like they used to give Kenneth Lofton Jr. That, that's not the type of big that he is. He does a lot of his offensive work on the offensive glass uh, and cleaning up in that area. But, uh, you know, outside of an Isaiah Crawford, he, he's as important for Louisiana Tech uh, of a player that they have because when you look beyond him, uh, Will Allen's a kid that's been in the program for three years. He's not really an offensive or he's a good defender, but he's six foot seven. He's not changing a whole lot of shots. And, you know, Terry Miller's a six eight Juco transfer out of Fresno, California. That when you go back to that Jacksonville State game, he plays 16 minutes off the bench, has six points, three assists, no turnovers. But, you know, he broke his foot in the offseason, so he was a little bit slower coming along. So, uh, Bacho's been huge. And you go back to that Liberty game, he played 40 minutes in that game, if that kind of gives you an idea of how much this staff leans on him. You know, it's so interesting, Ben, because I'm looking at this matchup right now, and Joe Golding has talked all week long about, you know, up to this point in conference play, the Miners have flexed a smaller lineup, but he's talked about all week long about how they might need to go a two-big lineup approach, but I look at the one loss that uh, LaTeX has in conference play against Sam Houston State. The Bearcats, uh, you know, they ran a majority of a smaller lineup in that matchup. Do you think that uh, confuses LaTeX a little bit when they go up against opponents who go with the smaller lineup, or do you feel confident in the Bulldogs against any kind of lineup like that, a smaller approach yeah. lineup? You know, that's a good question. You know, Jacksonville State the other day, they, they decided they wanted to play big. They wanted to try to, you know, kind of punish Tech's guards in the paint. And Tech's response to that was Gravon Mangum and Devin Ree, two six eight long wings come off the bench, and they really – allowed Louisiana Tech to clamp down defensively. I, I don't know, uh, r- regardless of a lineup, especially if you go small, if Louisiana Tech's going to really change a whole lot as far as what they do. Uh, as far as that Sam Houston State game goes, you know, you allow 81 points. Uh, I believe that was the highest amount of points Louisiana Tech's allowed all year. Calvin Hester said at the time, you know, you score 77 points on the road, you should win. B- bottom line, you, you can't lose a game that you score 77 points. They, and they were going through a, a tough period heading into conference play. I think they had a, a buzzer beater loss to St. Louis, an overtime loss at Seattle, a three point loss at Grand Canyon. So they, they were still trying to figure out how to win. But it, it'll be interesting to see UTEP's approach because for me, I, I think the best way to attack Tech's defense and really to attack Tech's offense is to get physical with their guards. I think physical play, uh, especially at the guard spot, has bothered Louisiana Tech at certain times this year. Is Talvin Hester the kind of coach that's going to zone UTEP and try to dare them to shoot from the outside, or is no, he is he no. a conventional man-to-man guy? He's going to be man-to-man for 40 minutes. They'll, they'll press a little bit. It's more of a press to kind of slow you down. Mm-hmm. more than it is to turn you over. But yeah, they've been straight man-to-man all year. I would imagine we'll see that again tomorrow night. Now, I think the big thing for Talvin Hester is how do you slow down Tay Hardy? It's like Talvin said, I believe, yesterday in his press conference, he's like, Tay Hardy's an old dog. Like He's been through Conference USA. He's been in uh, college basketball forever. And he's a guy that goes out and makes shots in big spots. And, and I think that'll be really the focal point of Tech defensively 
Uh, I would imagine, like I said earlier, Talik Chavez will, will get the opportunity to match up with Hardy early. But if he's given Louisiana Tech issues, uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see Tech put a guy like Drayvon Mangum, a uh, 6'8", long, athletic wing on him, just to you know force him to make some more difficult shots over some length. This is a veteran team, a lot of portal guys. Has La Tech been pretty uh, successful in terms of bra- raising that NIL? Uh, no, it, it's actually it's Calvin Hester's recruiting, to, to be completely honest. And, and I think that when Calvin Hester was hired, uh, you know, we weren't necessarily full-on into that NIL-type era that we are now, but that was his strength. I, I mean, obviously – he signed Isaiah Crawford out of high school. He signed Kenneth Lofton Jr. Uh, he has a great eye for talent. Obviously, brought Daniel Bacho over with him from Texas Tech. Uh, just you know, having previously coached him, and I think that's been huge for Tech. But uh, they did a terrific job. Sean Newman, the starting point guard, is a JUCO kid out of Los Angeles. He's as steady as they come. Where you know, a year ago you had Kobe Williams. He could go for thirty on any night. But I don't know that that necessarily fit with the mantra that Calvin Hester wants from his point guard spot. So Newman's been huge. Talik Chavez is a kid that's been at Iona. He's been at Charleston Southern. He's from the Arlington, Texas area. Uh, Calvin had some previous ties to him, and he's been a terrific shooter. Uh, Devin Reed, he's a Louisville transfer that's from Jackson, Mississippi, right down the road a couple hours. Uh, There was a young player, top 100 guy in high school that really – Quite honestly, he wanted more of a chance to contribute, and that's why he came to Louisiana Tech. So I think up and down this roster, uh, and, and I'll, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Tyler Henry, a uh, kid from Southern Indiana, like I said, played a lot of college basketball, wanted to win. Like, there are nights where he'll start and he'll play eight minutes, but he wants to win, and that, that's been the biggest thing that has kind of shocked me in this era of college athletics, that they've added nine new faces tight as they are from a roster standpoint, from a chemistry standpoint, because you just don't see it anymore. Ben, I feel like this is definitely uh, an example of a contender across conference USA, but this league has been really weird so far. It's all the home teams finding victories uh, thus far. The home win percentage is at uh, 79%. 15 of the 19 games in conference USA have been uh, decided by the home team. How do you see this league so far compared to you know a league like last year? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really competitive league. I think you know, like you said, the home team has held serve 15 of 19. And in Tech's case, they got two of the four road wins. Like I said, I think they were the only team in the league that started three of their first four on the road. So their mantra going into this week is we got a chance to create a little bit of separation knowing that we're going to get some home games here coming up and we got to take care of business on our home floor. But uh, I, I thought the other night getting a chance to see Liberty, I, I still think they're really good. I know they got off to a tough spot. Uh, or a tough start. I don't watching Jacksonville State and watching Liberty. I have no idea how Jacksonville State went on the road and beat Liberty. Like I, I it'll never add up for me. But that, that's what you get when you're watching college kids uh, play athletics these days. I think you know UTEP. I think they're going to be in the mix. I think the further you get into Joe Golding's tenure, like you're starting to see you know, the the culture that he's wanting to create, the culture that he's wanting to build. It's starting to manifest in his teams. Uh, I, I think Western Kentucky's a team that's hot and cold. Like, you know, you get conference tournament time, maybe they get hot and they, they can pull off a run. But I, I think, and we've had Sean Paul with the field of 68 uh, on our radio show a couple of times, and he seems to 
kind of agree that Louisiana Tech, Liberty, possibly UTEP, who knows with Western Kentucky, but those are your top three or four teams uh, in the league night in and night out. It'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out because, you know, uh, this is a long-winded answer, but going back to Tech's loss at Sam Houston State, like, State, when, you, when we watched them play, it wasn't a team that, like, wowed you with their outside shooting or wowed you with your their athleticism. Like, I felt like Louisiana Tech just didn't play a, a great game. They kind of overlooked them a little bit as far as a road game, league play. There's about 500 people in the stands. Like, but you can't, you know, you can't rest on your laurels and let one of those games trip you up. You'll find yourself further down the standings. But uh, long story short, I think Louisiana Tech, Liberty, UTEP, maybe a Western Kentucky, uh, be the top three or four teams in the league. BleedTechBlue.com, that's your source for all things Louisiana Tech. Ben Carlisle is the publisher. He's been kind enough to join us to begin our final hour. Ben, appreciate it. We'll look forward to having you back, and uh, hopefully it'll be a, a fun one tomorrow night. Sounds like it's going to be good. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime, y'all, y'all just holler at me. From uh, Ben Carlisle right back to Charlie One. He's got a, a traffic update, and then we'll come back for our final 40 minutes together as we take you up till 7 o'clock right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. 24 past the hour as Sports Talk continues. It's been a busy day. Our Longhorn Distributing Hotline has been packed with guests since we started the show. And that's just the kind of day it's been. Some days we'll get four, five, six guests. Some days, like tomorrow, we'll have one guest, John Teicher, because we're only on for 30 minutes. He'll join us live from Ruston. We get ready for UTEP and La Tech. Looking forward to that. Should be a lot of fun. 4.30, uh, the thing gets going with the countdown to tip. 5 o'clock game. Game will be over by about 7. Adrian will take the air about 7.30 with Sal. Minor talk. It's going to be hot. It's going to be big. We're going to have a lot to cover on the show. And I want to let everybody know that uh, we are now less than two weeks away from 600 ESPN El Paso's Road to Las Vegas and Radio Row. We'll be there. Give you all the sights and sounds for the big one, Super Bowl 58. Who will it be? Ravens, Chiefs, Lions, 49ers. Regardless, you can't go wrong. I mean, John Harbaugh or Andy Reid? Dan Campbell or Kyle Shanahan? Like, I mean, it's perfect. It's going to be great. We're going to be out there for four days, not just bringing you Sports Talk Live, but laying down the law. The Foss... Chris Fernandez, um, a couple of El Paso uh, alums. One went to Hanks, one went to Eastwood, and they uh, reunite with us in Las Vegas for four days. And that's just going to be so much fun. Can't wait. And uh, a lot of companies, a lot of businesses starting to get on board. A lot of sponsors to talk about. We'll be doing that here in the next few days on 600 ESPN El Paso. But Adrian, can't wait to be with you and uh, have an opportunity. It'll be our first trip to Vegas together since we did the draft a couple of years ago. That was our first uh, venture out for the NFL, and uh, since then, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has been. It's been great to do these events with the NFL. They've been great partners with us, and it's awesome to deliver some, uh, you know, some shows ahead of these big, big, big events uh, like the Super Bowl itself. And for those who are wondering, no, we're not going to the actual game, right? Uh, but uh, but we'll be there for all the big stuff. I- I'm happy to be on my couch for the actual game uh, and not necessarily be out there for the Super Bowl. I heard when you're covering a uh, Super Bowl as a media member, it's 
a, a really, really long day of of work. Uh, so I'm fortunate in what we're doing. So I'm, I'm really happy about it. Steve, who is your uh, wish, like, uh, guest, like, or guest wish, I should say, or whatever you want to say, however you want to say so, it? I don't know, and I'm going to tell you why. Or even to somebody to meet. I don't know. I mean, I thought we did great last year. We met everybody. Um, but you checked a lot of boxes last year. I did. I, I feel like, and we had Pat McAfee on the last day, which was phenomenal because he was just wandering around and kind of just looking to find something people to hang out with. We, we got him on for a good 30 minutes, I thought. He was, or 20, whatever it was. He was terrific. And, um, you know, that was, ter- that was a lot of fun. Um, I mean, think about this now, okay? Last year, we couldn't get Kevin Harlan because we weren't a Westwood One affiliate. Well, that changed. So now, if Kevin Harlan's floating around on Radio Row, we are going to get Kevin Harlan to sign up with us. In fact, we don't have to worry about them looking at their list and saying, oh, wait a minute, you guys aren't an affiliate like last year. We are. In fact, last year was the only year we haven't been an affiliate for Westwood. It just didn't work out, but we we, uh, changed that in a hurry and we would love to get Kevin Harlan on the show this time around. Yeah, that's a great name uh, as far as you know those to check off. You got a chance to get an autographed baseball from Russo. Uh, mm. That was a big one to check off. It was a weird ball. Like I got a baseball signed by a bunch of sports radio guys. That I mean, for me, that's kind of cool because you know there's certain names you look up to. So it was Tony Bruno, Chris Russo, threw McAfee on that the last day as well. Um, and there's one other on that, um, that I'm trying to remember who we put, but, oh, uh, Rome met Jim Rome and got Jim Rome on that ball. So that is, it's kind of a neat ball. It's like a sports radio ball. I mean, you know, and if, uh, and who knows, maybe I'll take it with me to Vegas. And if there's some other names this time around that we see that should be on the ball, put them on there as well. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I like that a lot. I think we're going to see a lot of people this time around compared to Phoenix, just knowing where it's at, knowing mm-hmm. it's Vegas, knowing that Vegas is becoming the sports hub right now. Um, I've been kind of keeping up with some of the entertainment. I mean, the first time around with the NFL draft, we got a chance to see Ice Cube yeah. last year with the uh, you know around the Super Bowl. Not as many acts ahead of time, but Steve, this time around, there are so many artists performing the week of. So it'll be cool because... Not only did we get sports personalities, but we we got a chance to see entertainment uh, celebrities. Uh, we got to see uh, people in music out at the Super Bowl last year, and I expect that uh, this time around as well. I think Radio Row is going to be two to three times as busy as it was last year. Agreed. Because Vegas is not Phoenix, all right? Vegas is celebrity to the max. In fact, I think we're going to see Cody Decker in uh, Vegas. You know, I shot him a text for his birthday a couple weeks ago, and I was hoping that in the back of my head. So I, I really hope that uh, him and Michelle uh, will mm. be out there for their show. Uh, and I hope that, yeah, I mean, look at how SiriusXM was set up last year at the Super Bowl. They had a really, really sweet setup. And if, uh, you know, Cody Decker's on board, man, that'll be so cool to see. In fact, we're going to have to mess with Cody if that's the case. You know it's going to happen. Yes. You know it's going to happen. So, anyway, I'm I'm excited. And, um, you know, what can I tell you? I think that that's why when you're like, who do you want to meet? I don't know because the guest list is going to be so wide ranging. I'll tell you this much. Pretty sure we'll get Dean Kane to stop with us, stop by on our show. And he'll also be on with laying down the law because he's best friends with the Foss.
That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I the one I guess if I had you know some some wishes on my side, it's hard, right? Because last year one of my big wishes was Shams, and I got a chance. To yeah, see you him. did. So I, I mean, like, wh- where do you go from there? In my opinion, I mean, Shams is kind of like the guy I love in in the NBA, uh, and I love his coverage and what he, he what he's able to do. So maybe we do get a chance to see some uh, basketball personalities this time around, mm. not unlike last year, yep. because it's Las Vegas, and they're just going to bring all the sports personalities out. We we could have hockey players. Right. Um, we could see that as well because of the Vegas Knights. Um, boxing. I expect a lot of fighters uh, to be floating around Radio yes. Row a ton because UFC. UFC and pro boxing and everything else because that's their hub as well. And a lot of celebrities. You might see a lot of entertainers, singers, actors, actresses, uh, professional wrestlers. Last year, Seth Rollins was by. And, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be um, it's going to be a lot of fun. That's why when you it's a tough question to answer because. I have no idea who's even going to be at this thing. It's just going to be jam-packed. One of the reasons why we're going Monday, we want to get a jump start on everything going on Super Bowl Sun, Super Bowl week. Okay, I'm going to throw out uh, a curveball to you in the baseball world. What if we see Otani? I don't think he'll do a lot of media stuff, but do you think he'll be around? you think uh, he'll just be around the place just knowing what kind of a per- uh, sports personality he really is? I don't Celebrity? know, because if he doesn't like media and they're all going to gonna go to him, that's a tough. That's a tough one. That's a tough yeah, call. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we had uh, Vinny Pasquantino last mm-hmm. year. Nobody knew I'm, Vinny. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. That's why he uh, probably you know was so gracious with his time with us. So I hope. I'm just hoping that we see some baseball guys here before they head out to spring training. We got Vinny before he had that season-ending injury, and now he's coming back and uh, has a chance to be a household name for a Royals fan. So that'll be fun. Yeah, I wonder also, speaking of uh, people that we could run into, wonder if Showtime himself will, will be out there at the Super Bowl. I would be shocked if the Jones family is not out in Vegas. Me too. Yeah, they got to go. They got to go. I mean, especially the way that he closed out the season and how positive uh, that was for the Packers. Yeah, I would expect Aaron Jones to be out there. You expect Aaron Rodgers to be out there. Ooh, great name. He yeah. was there. He's been there this week with the Jets offensive lineman. He might just have to stick around, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to do a live tour because mm-hmm. a live media tour at Radio Row because live is opening up that weekend, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that could also, uh, unlike last year, we could see some golfers this time around. Yeah, there's this going to be a little bit of everybody. I think that's just the key. That's why for us, our guest list, we're keeping most of it on, um, you know, just uh, wide open because there's going to be so many people there. You just don't know who you're going to get to stop by. You just don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it, man. I we have I have to be better myself about facial recognition. Uh, we figured out some kind of different tactics last year. This year, we just have to do it again. All right, we'll work on that. In the meantime, before we give you all those details, let's get back back to Adrian. Here he is. One last Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. Uh, Thirty five now past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. 505-6009, our telephone number to get into the show. That's 505-6009. Would love to get uh, your thoughts, your comments on uh, UTEP tomorrow. It's a big story, all right? Miners and um, Bulldogs. I mean, we've said it now for quite a while. Uh, you know, this UTEP team is putting it together at home. On the road, the last... Road game, they blew a 16-point lead with eight minutes left to go in the second half. That was the last time they played on the road. You don't think they've got a bad taste in their mouth over that loss to FIU? I'm sure they do. Do they come out tomorrow, 
play La Tech good enough, win the game, and make a statement saying, that, you know what? We have turned the corner. We can win road games. We're 3-2 and two in the league. we got some confidence now building as we get to ready to play Sam Houston State on Saturday. Adrian, it's hard to pick the minors over La Tech tomorrow because La Tech is 9-0. and UTEP is, what, 0-5? There's no reason to believe UTEP will win tomorrow night other than minor fans seeing some things in these last couple of wins that they believe will trans- will translate over onto this road game. Yeah, and I also I just go back to our discussion with Ben Carlisle. Like the, the the small ball lineup versus the big approach for UTEP is going to be my key to watch. Uh, like what kind of guys and personnel do they throw out there? What rotations does UTEP stick to? How um, – I guess how restrictive does Joe Golding feel with somebody like Zid Powell? Because at times he can save you in games, but other times he turns the ball over at high clip and it hurts the minors offensively. In that late game against uh, Western Kentucky, there was actually stretches where Zid did not uh, play on the floor, and then they subbed him in when it was all said and done pretty much in that game. But uh, what I'm trying to say is how do they manage late game situations? How do they manage rotations throughout the game? Do they sell out and go smaller on on an approach for a lineup and uh, try to get more offensive firepower like they've had over the past couple games, or do they go back to their bigger lineup and throw both Kalu and Solomon out on the floor together? La Tech, 10.5-point favorites over UTEP tomorrow. 10.5 points, Adrian. That's a t- it's double digits, as Steve Yellen would say. Double yeah. digits. And that's a, it's a big, big total. So, you know... As much as we, we were, we're wanting to see UTEP play well and try to win tomorrow against La Tech, uh, the odds makers believe that this game is not going to be close. Well, uh, the nerds don't either. Um, Ken Palm has UTEP losing by 12, 75-63 is what Ken Palm has. They also have uh, UTEP losing to Sam Houston State on Saturday. So I, I kind of take what Joe Golding said earlier this week, um, you know, and, and I, I believe in what he was saying. I take it and I believe it, uh, that if they get one of these wins on the road, it's big for this team because it shows that they can actually win away from the Haskins Center, and that's something they haven't been able to do really this entire season. Look, Sam Houston State beat Louisiana Tech. They beat Western Kentucky. Those were home games. Then they split with their road trip between uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking about Sam Houston State. Uh, my, my fault. Uh, Sam Houston State, I should say. Uh, they beat Louisiana Tech. They beat Western Kentucky at home. And then they split with that Middle Tennessee Liberty trip, beating Middle Tennessee uh, on the road by, what was it, uh, by, by nine. And then they lost at Liberty by 16. Yeah, that Liberty team is up and down. I think they're they're the inconsistent bunch. You talked to uh, Ben Carlisle talked about Western Kentucky maybe showing signs of inconsistency. It seems like the Flames so far can't really find their uh, stride. They won back to back recently, but they started zero and three in CUSA play. So I'm just curious on how good of a team they are. They're coming to town next week against the Miners. So well, I- I'm curious to see how UTEP plays against the Bearcats on the road, and then I love that Liberty matchup. Uh, next week that's going to be a must watch now i think if i'm not mistaken the liberty matchup on the third is also going to be the is that the uh, the night that they're doing the no i think it's that msu is the 0304 reunion am i correct that's right yes Okay. And then uh, the 24th, which is the Sam Houston State game, that is the unveiling of the Don Haskins statue. That's right. Meanwhile, how lucky are we? 
we are going to be in Vegas and not miss a single UTEP basketball game while we're gone. Yes, I knew this uh, when you know going into this week actually because I was thinking to myself, man, uh, I I, ca- I cannot uh, miss any more UTEP basketball games at home. Like I just I want to watch all of them at home uh, for the rest of the season. There's not that many left, and so yeah, I, I'm very happy that we will not miss any of the games and that we'll be back in town for the Battle of I-10, the rematch edition. Aggies got the first one by ten. Mm. Uh, they've been playing great as of late. So let's see how UTEP uh, fares in their second matchup, which will be two Saturdays uh, from this upcoming Saturday. Can't wait. Meanwhile, final countdown. We'll wrap things up next. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso.